welcome back to Those Art Teachers. I'm your host, Corby, and I'm here with my co-host, Caitlin. Hello. And today's episode is all about back to school. We're going to start off with some rapid fire questions. So, Corby, tell me one word you think about when you think about going back to school. This is hard. I think energy. That's going to be my word. I was going to pick busy, but I think energy fits better for me because it's such a time of like excitement, but there's also some anxiety. It's like a back and forth of just all these different kind of feelings. So I think energy fits those first few weeks. Just there's this intensity about going back to school. So that's my word. What's your word? I think my word is naps. I was not expecting you to say that. (laughs) Because of the energy that we need going back to school. And so ours kind of go together. Because of one, we need the other. Because we spend so much time and energy like going back to school. And it is this like buildup. And then when you're going, when you actually start teaching with the students, it is physically, mentally draining and but in like a good way it's just like so so much excitement so many new things that you're doing that I feel like my brain gets very tired and by the time I come home I'm ready for a nap otherwise I really struggle that is funny that ours are yin and yang of responses because that energy that it takes to do what we do each day and what we're putting into school it's draining so much of our own energy that we have to replenish it so it is like ours do mirror the opposites of each other okay rapid fire what is a back to school necessity for you Ooh, a planner I don't even know if you know this Caitlin but I cannot function without a physical planner that's real like even over the summer I've been struggling like I have to make lists I need it organized I have to have a physical planner that's mine What's yours? I would say my back to school uh, necessity is a new pair of shoes. Really? Like a comfortable new pair of shoes. Dr. Scholl's, they look like Vans, Keds. They look like those type of slip-on tennis shoes, but they are Dr. Scholl's brand. And they're the most comfortable. I know you have some too, right? We bought some together. Like that year that we started teaching and we went shoe shopping. We were like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. Yeah. And guess what? I still have those first pairs of Dr. Scholl's shoes. Yeah. You're literally (laughs) wearing them right now. They're still comfortable. Yeah. I have four pairs now of them. And every year I just buy another pair of Dr. Scholl's slip-on tennis shoes in a new color because the old ones I still have are still cute. I clean them up and they are good to go. They're still comfortable. So I would say that is a necessity because as a teacher, like on your feet all day, you have to have a good pair of comfortable shoes. And my go-to brand, shout out Merrill. That's been my necessity. Merrill's are really good. Okay, next rapid fire question. Do you have any go-to styles that you prefer? I love several vintage stores in town. Shout out Camp Creek Vintage in Wichita. I've gotten a lot of skirts there. And I love pairing like a really cute vintage skirt that's like flowy, like high-waisted, like midi with a cute teacher t-shirt. I feel like that's a really 
nice vibe and it's comfortable and you can pair that t-shirt with a skirt with like the Dr. Jules shoes and you're good to go comfortable and cute so I'd say that's kind of my vibe done that a lot the past few years but also when I can't find things at the vintage stores another place I've been shopping recently it's TJ Maxx surprisingly like they have some really cute really affordable clothes especially on sale because they're like a lot of name brand stuff but I don't know how they get these clothes like so discounted I don't really understand that if it's almost like an outlet store Marshall's TJ Maxx they're like the same company I got like a ton of shorts there recently for going back to school wide leg pants that I can pair with cute teacher shirts or nicer shirts and then I'm not too worried about like if they get art stuff on them you know paint or whatever because they weren't that expensive to begin with so yeah I think thrift stores are always a fun experience and such a great way to not have that pressure of ooh, I have to keep this nice have to keep it clean because as art teachers we get so messy whether we intend to or not it's just part of the gig so that was one of mine as well thrift stores goodwill especially vintage stores. You got really specific in your look, which I feel like mine is very much all over the place, but usually just high-waisted something on the bottom half. But if it's colorful and bright and it has a pattern, then I am in. Like, that is me. So I'm always looking for something like that at a thrift store. Or I have some go-to stores as well. What are your go-to stores? Uh, recently I've found, I mean, the Target sale section is always a good time. Uh, but Wild Fang, which is a store in Portland, Oregon, it is gender neutral clothing company and it has amazing patterns and amazing colors. It's fantastic. And I, they're a little more, I would say expensive than like the TJ Maxx realm or even like, mm, I feel like it's comparable to Target sometimes, but because of the the colors, because of the patterns and the way that they fit, oh my gosh, I can't rave about them enough. So I've been slowly like looking at their stuff here and there and I'll accumulate a really amazing printed floral pant pattern or like their blazers are awesome, shirts are, I mean, all of it's great. So they've been a really great staple to have in my back pocket. And then Marine Layer, they also have really nice prints and colors, but they also have a really cool trade system where you can ship t-shirts that they then recycle and reuse in their clothing. I have been looking at them for trying to accumulate some neutrals because I need some neutrals to pair with all of the things that are patterned and colorful. Uh, So they do have a nice balance of that stylistically. Uh, And then they're material I can't remember what it is but it's really nice for I mean my climate out here is generally cooler throughout the school year so they're really good for that as well yeah um okay back to school Instagram follows yeah do you have any back to school Instagram some follows that you love especially for getting some inspiration whether it's back to school teacher outfits Back to school, classroom design, classroom setup, anything like that? Mine are very specific to classroom content in terms of lessons. I feel like my teacher community that I follow on Instagram is kind of all over for back to school, like environment design, classroom setup, all of that. The two people that I'm going to plug are 
who I follow because I like their work as artists and also their content they create for their curriculum. And they are middle school and high school teachers. So the first one is Art with Sanez. I started following them during the pandemic because of what they were doing with their sketchbooks and the way that Sanez is designing sketchbooks for students is just really neat. And I like that it just pushes creativity. Like a lot of the prompts that this art teacher uses is they're very like critical thinking based, very imaginative. And then their projects are just really fun and uh, really build a sense of learning about the student. So that's a good one. And then Mrs. T. Fox, um, I actually took a workshop with her this summer for colored pencils. She has created an amazing set of lessons specifically for painting and drawing. So she's developed this huge curriculum and now she's in the latter years and then now she's focusing on helping other teachers. So she's a great follow for uh, not only ideas, but you can purchase her lessons and or just get inspiration from them to build your program. She's awesome. And she's a really cool lady in the hour I spent with her on Zoom. So that was cool. Awesome. I love those resources. One of mine is on Instagram, Magical Learning Adventure. Oh, I like that name. I know. <laughs> like, I want to look at them. <laughs> I found her this summer, and she's actually a third grade teacher, not an art teacher, but she has the, she looks like she could be an artist. Like, she has the most amazing teacher outfit ideas because they're so unique. They're not like, I don't know, the normal, what you'd expect. And she always, she has like a link tree so you can find where she finds different outfit pieces. They're so creative. Like she really does a great job of mixing colors and patterns. And I just love, I love all of her looks. They're really inspiring of like kind of just having fun with your teacher outfits. It's just cool how she can, she dresses things up in such a fun way. And it looks like it would bring her students a lot of joy the way she dresses. She's awesome. I love her resources on there for like just teacher outfit inspo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you so, follow the trendy senorita? No. Oh, well, since you're going in that direction, yeah, go ahead. Look her up. She is someone that I follow if we're talking about teacher outfit inspo. Such a fun account. Also a lover of color. Uh, not an art teacher. So that's a fun outfit inspo account. Okay, love it. Looking her up. Love her style too. So that's fun. Curating our outfits is like curating. We wanted to talk about curating our environments, especially in the back to school setting. So basically, how do we decide our classroom environment, decor, seating arrangements, arrangements of studio spaces, if we have that in the art room? I think for me, this year, I've made some changes about how I'm going to teach, and my student, my art room definitely has to reflect that because I am changing from more of a teacher-centered instructions and you know step-by-step type lesson planning to student-centered, student-driven, more individual type projects, and using that tab philosophy and studio habits of mind philosophy. Uh, as kind of a basis for that idea. So my room this summer, I had to think about how is my room going to reflect that? 
how does it need to change in order to help me teach in that way and help my students be successful? And I had to change a few things about my room. I made centers, if you will, of like a dry media supply center, a I'm going to have like a painting supply center. Um, I made a sculpture and building supply center, a collage center. And I had to come up with a way to display that stuff, to store that stuff, to where my students can access it and it fits in my room and every room's different. So it's really a unique thing that every teacher has to figure out for themselves. But I think it all starts with first, what are you teaching? How are you going to teach it? Is it teacher centered? Is it student centered? And start from there. And I think it will change based on what your students need. I agree 100%. I think it's never going to be the same depending on like what you said, if you're choosing to change like your teaching style, or maybe you, I mean, move buildings, your environment physically changes. Um, I've been doing modified tab for the last couple of years. And the ideas that I had and the stations I set up at the beginning have totally changed, especially based on teaching through COVID. But it's been an ongoing process of are the supplies labeled clearly? Can the students actually read the text? I think that's something that people don't think about when they're setting up, even if you're not teaching tab or modified tab, anything that you're putting in your room, just because it looks cute or it looks good doesn't mean that it's visually conveying the information in a way that students can read it. Like the font matters, the visuals matter. Preach, yeah. because that is something that I have been wanting to talk about too. It doesn't matter what kind of teacher you are, like not even art, any teacher. Oh yeah. Any teacher or any person working with kids, they, most of them cannot read cursive, y'all. Yeah. They can't read those handwriting cursive, like scripty fonts. So why are we buying these teacher pay teacher? Or why are we creating these documents that are visually appealing to us, but kids can't even read them? As I've been structuring my room and modifying some of my stations or adding to them, for me, I have to step back. And as I'm redesigning my collage station, I have to think about, are these, are these labels, are they too close together? Are there too many of them? Is the font, is it legible? Um, not only to me, but just thinking about other students and their experience and are the colors maybe that I picked or the logos that I picked on it, are they too loud? Is it too much sensory input with these visuals? Like all of that, I do think matters. And then also the way that the materials are set out to me, the environment is so much more than just how we sit and how we get the information. But also that's not the way my classroom is designed. It's not a sit and get environment. I want students to be able to get up and be able to access things and know where things are. So then therefore they need to be accessible. And then also we have to think about all diverse learners and like how are all of our students able to actually physically get the materials, not just see them and read the labels like it's really about how is the environment structured you have to think about those patterns of movement around the room and where all of those things are and if they can physically get to them yeah you brought up a lot of really good points I think there's a learning curve to understanding that like I did not think about all these things my first year teaching my first year that I was setting up my classroom 
and no one told me either. You don't get a list of, hey, here's all the things you need to think about when you're setting up your classroom, which maybe we should. I don't know. It's things that I've learned through trial and error and through experience, and I'm sure you have too. You know, we've just learned as we go. Yeah, I think what is the the phrase, and you use it a lot? Necessity is the mother of invention. There we go. And I think that, to me, speaks so true to to this topic, because we could plan out for my situation, I know I want to do this modified tab setup and I have everything planned out and it's a general idea, but then it's not going to fully flush itself out until I get students in the space and see how they interact with it. Like I can go through those scenarios in my mind over and over again. And it's one thing for me to do it, but yes, it matters. The student's perspective, the accessibility for them and how it really functions in that big social structure too. And that's something else that I think is so important is the way that desks and or I guess learning centers or stations are set up because of the spacing. And I, something that I've been doing is a survey asking students to like on a scale of like one to five, like how much do you prefer working by yourself versus working with others or do, and do you like working independently or do you like group work? And I know you can't, make every lesson fit that exactly. Sometimes we have to go out of our comfort zone a little bit, but it helps me also think about, do I have enough spots? Do I have enough spots available for students to sit if they do need more space? Maybe they're having a time where they just don't want to sit at their table with their partners and that's okay. And then here are these spaces, like I've designed, I call them independent stations in my classroom so that they can access them if they need them. And I think that part of the environment is so crucial that, I guess, structure of design of the way that our bodies move in the space and having that accessibility. Yeah. Seating arrangements are huge, too, for, like, helping either make or break, like, classroom management, group activities versus individual activities. I've had four table groupings for all of my years, but I've also always struggled with students loving to like socialize during art. And I, I love that. Like I want them to socialize while they're making, but not to the point where it's just a distraction or like causing problems. And something I read recently has talked about how the table groupings, when you group like three, four kids or more together, it is great for like group projects, but it also encourages socialization and talking. And if you want that, Or if you can do that temporarily and then move the desk back or something, that's great. But in my art room, my tables are so heavy and I can't just like move my tables around depending on the activity. So I've had them like that for the past four years. I have them like that right now. I'm starting to think I might need to break up my tables into just partners. So two two or three people at a table instead of five or six at a table group. So I'm thinking I might set them in rows two long rows of my rectangular tables and have two, if I have to, have three people at each table and see and have them all facing the front, even though I'm not doing teacher-directed learning, but I want to cut down on some of the extra talking, socialization that is really cutting into our creating time. And I want to see if that helps. Yeah, I had all my desks facing forward and I hated it personally 
but it was during COVID hybrid learning. And it was because of the spacing that we had to do. But I noticed that it did completely. And I mean, we had masks on as well and all that space. Like there was so much in the environment that was building disconnection. But that's when my classes were the quietest I've ever had them. And I do let my kids talk. And I want I want to encourage group work. And for me and at my school, the age group and the environment, it does work. Like when they feel comfortable and they are talking during their projects. I haven't had any issues with that. Um, I could would be on a different page at the elementary level with that experience. Uh, but for your situation, Caitlin, I am curious to see if that does kind of mitigate and like balance it more because it was a totally different it was a totally different feeling a totally different vibe and after that I was like I mean I went way back I was so happy to go back to my usual setup so I do think and I I do have a wonderful it's a very large space so I do have some flexibility in playing with that environmental table design but it's been really interesting to see which kids gravitate towards the areas and how that does influence their workflow and their personal um, creation time as well. It does make a, a total difference on personalities. And I'm all about flexible seating and providing them like what they need. I feel like I'm limited with the size of my room and the size yeah. of my tables. I don't know. There's just a lot of limitations that I think are, are causing some issues. I'm making small steps towards what I think would be really beneficial for my students and the way I teach. but. It's just a work in progress. On the topic of desk setup and structuring the environment, the first thing that came to my mind was visuals. So I have lots of posters and things around the room. How much we put up decor-wise or information-wise is a big topic when setting things up for our kids as well. Okay, so classroom decor. Is it helpful? Does it hurt? I think informational type posters or decorations that have to do with our content areas especially if the kids are involved in creating them then they have more like purpose and meaning to the students but I definitely have been in art rooms where I've been overwhelmed by the amount of decorations posters even instructional materials all over the rooms where it's actually like overstimulated me and then I can't focus. I If I don't have the space for my eyes to rest, I am struggling. And I think there's a lot of students that are like that too. Yes, I agree with that, Caitlin. I think there's a balance. I think it also comes back to checking our personal preference. And then again, keeping our students in mind because not every student does want a lot of visual, a lot of color. Also different people process things differently or have different sensitivities like hypersensitivity, hyposensitivity, and we just have to keep all of that in mind. On that note, also smells and music. A lot of people might not really think about that. And I think this touches not just for art teachers, but all teachers. What you may like, this scent, that's maybe your favorite scent, might be way too much for certain students. Or the way that you want to play music might be again, too much, or it might be great for some students. Like it just comes with balance on all of these sensory inputs that were, are happening in our room. All of that just can add or take away to the experience. So I think it's just so important about balance. And knowing our students and what they need. Yeah. And I do a survey and I add that in there as well about 
like, do you like working with music or do you not? But I think knowing those questions or asking those questions and knowing those things about your students can help you provide more opportunities to find that balance for your students in your classroom environment. And this does sound like a great topic for like maybe a whole episode where we can go in more in depth on this subject. But that wraps up our rapid fire and classroom decoration, classroom setup for back to school part of our episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Dr. Pepper because when you're feeling down or sick or not really well, just go to the doctor. Dr. Pepper, available in the staff lounge for only 75 cents. Dr. Pepper, just a drink, not a licensed doctor. Something that I do, I've done for the past few years is read the book The Dot by Peter H. Reynolds. I know that's pretty common for a lot of art teachers, but if you don't know about it, it is a good kind of back to school book for the art classroom because it tells a story in an art classroom and kind of it, the, essentially the theme is like everyone has to start somewhere with art and you just need to try and you'll improve. Just give it your best shot you know, start with a dot if you have to. So then I do some different activities with the different grade levels to start with a dot. And I like the kind of mentality, like the mindset that that frames the class with, because it kind of takes some of the pressure or expectations off of new students that, you know, maybe are in fifth grade or fourth grade. My other returning students should remember it, but kindergartners and any new students it kind of hopefully takes the pressure off of them oh I have to create something amazing right out of the gate or it just kind of levels the playing field like it's okay to be new at things it's okay to start from nothing or start from the most simple mark making and just learn and grow and so I really like that book And then it's fun that every year I've done something kind of different as far as like activity wise with it. But then I try to do something with every grade level and then I put up a big bulletin board with all of their work. And so it's more of a school-wide collaboration project and it's pretty much right off the bat so that it's ready to be displayed by International Dot Day, which is September 15th. And I know a lot of kindergarten, first grade teachers, librarians, they like reading that book too. So um, that's pretty common though. I feel like a lot of people know about that, but if you don't know, that's a really great resource for like a back to school kind of lesson. Yeah. I think it's nice that it extends not just one with one grade level, but if you extend it with multiple and then you can use it as a school-wide showcase, I think that's really nice. What I thought about when you said that is like, there's no pressure so the kids are all coming in with just like, go for it. Just do your best, go for it, have fun. And that is such a nice way to start off the year too. I recently did a modified lesson of Mrs. T. Fox's I Am lesson collage board. Yeah, I think it's, she calls it a collage board. That was really great. My students actually, in my end of the year survey, said that that was one of their favorite projects. And we can plug that resource down in the description below. Uh, But yeah, Mrs. T. Fox, 
I am collage board. I modified the lesson and my middle schoolers loved it because they had so much freedom to showcase parts of themselves. And I also uh, gave them the opportunity. So they could do collage, they could draw, they had some options on how they created within the windows of this collage board. Uh, and then they also had some constraints. And it was a really great first project for me also to see where they at motor skill wise, especially for the kids that I have never had before in this semester. Uh, what materials are they gravitating towards? What do they feel most comfortable working with? It was just such a great assessment project for like foundational art skills, personalities of the kids, and then also where they're at as an artist uh, conceptual wise as well. Love that, love that so much. I feel like we got into all the topics we wanted to do today. Thank you for joining us on Those Art Teachers. If you have back to school ideas, you can find us at Those Art Teachers on Instagram. DM us, leave a comment. We'll see you next time. Bye, not bye. Bye, not bye.